Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back to Destination Disaster. I'm your host, Devin Carney. week we are hopping on a plane to the beautiful pacific northwest where pristine lakes and the beautiful cascade range dot the landscape however a sinister force lurks beneath the surface capable of causing catastrophic destruction the following information is provided by the pacific seismic network the cascadia subduction zone is a Mugathrust fault that runs for 621 miles from northern vancouver island to cape mendocino california this fault separates the Juan de Fuca and North America plates. The Juan de Fuca plate moves toward and is eventually shoved beneath the continent at depths shallower than 30 kilometers or 18 miles. Cascadia subduction zone is locked by friction while strain slowly builds up as the subduction forces act until the fault's frictional strength is exceeded and the rocks slip past each other along the fault in a megathrust earthquake. The last earthquake to occur along this subduction zone occurred approximately 321 years ago, on or around January 26, 1700. Thanks to both geologic and verbal records, clues point to an extremely violent earthquake and subsequent tsunami that destroyed many of the coastal villages along the water. More supporting evidence that a major earthquake happened during this period come from Japanese record that indicate a tsunami struck the modern-day Iwate Prefecture. During this period, there were no reported earthquakes along the Pacific Rim that could account for the tsunami that the Japanese people experienced. The accumulation of these verbal and written records led scientists to the location of this earthquake. After gathering data from the sediment layers, they were able to confirm the presence of an unmistakably violent earthquake and tsunami along the Cascadia subduction zone. Following this research, a timeline began to take shape. Earthquakes along the subduction zone seem to have happened only at least seven times over the last 3,500 years, or a return interval of between 400 and 600 years, meaning that within the next 40 years, the Pacific Northwest will be in the crosshairs of another major earthquake. When conducting research for this episode, I was unable to locate any definite information pertaining to what the population could have been in the Pacific Northwest prior to westward expansion in the United States. The first U.S. census would not take place until 1790 and subsequently 1871 in Canada. What is known, however, is that those within the path of this earthquake and tsunami, death was swift and violent. Jump into the bones of the podcast today. I wanted to give a little history on when westward expansion began within the United States to truly understand that the settlers of this new land had no idea of what Mother Nature was capable of. Between 1801 and 1861, the first of several great westward migrations would occur. Following Thomas Jefferson's purchase of lands west of the Mississippi River in 1803, many East Coast Americans flocked west in search of riches, land, and freedom. However, a sinister force would lurk beneath the ground, and the new settlers would be unaware of just how treacherous the new lands they would begin to inhabit would become, and one that would significantly impact their lives. 
Several earthquakes between California and the Pacific Northwest have been recorded since the early days of expansion and settlement into these regions. Some of the most notable include the 1700 Cascadia Subduction Zone Megathrust Earthquake, the 1872 North Cascades Earthquake, and the 1891 Puget Sound Earthquake that recorded a tsunami propagating from the site of the earthquake. These three events are some of the most severe to have occurred in the region. These events, in conjunction with the westward expansion, would lead to the formation of one of the most important departments in the United States government today, the United States Geological Survey. Their mission at first was to document the natural resources and topography of the United States' newly acquired lands. However, their mission has continued to evolve into the scientific powerhouse that we see today. Following a short break, we will review the Geological Survey's mission as it pertains to modern-day earthquake and tsunami identification. Welcome back. Prior to the break, we reviewed a few historical instances of earthquakes and tsunamis in the Pacific Northwest. Now, as we turn our focus to more modern-day impacts, let's first look at the mission of the United States Geological Survey. Originally founded in 1879, the initial mission of the United States Geological Survey was to document the natural resources of the lands west of the Mississippi River and understand the topography of the landscape. Several expeditions had occurred prior to this. This was the first government-sanctioned department to conduct the study. By the late 1880s is when the Geological Survey would first begin studying the effects of earthquakes. Early advancements into earthquake research was significantly slower than other countries that experienced earthquakes as well, such as countries along the Pacific Rim. Early seismographs were installed in 1887 at the Lick Observatory and at the UC Berkeley campus. However, even with the installment of these instruments, very little was understood about earthquakes. However, once the 1906 earthquake struck in California, a slew of scientific records and observations would be submitted, leading to the state instituting one of the first earthquake investigation commissions. Today, as both scientific knowledge and technology has advanced, the United States Geological Survey leads one of the most robust research programs in the world. Now, over 1,000 seismographs dot the California landscape. The United States Geological Survey is now able to issue accurate early warnings of earthquakes through their early warning detection systems. Thanks to this technology, the USGS can report real-time or near-real-time data to ensure all in the path of an earthquake can adequately take precautions. Without the Geological Survey, the ability to accurately forecast and predict earthquakes would be non-existent, leaving millions in the path of one of the most violent experiences one could ever witness in their lifetime. One of the largest risks following an earthquake that originates out at sea is the formation of tsunamis. These waves are monsters in their own right. What many don't realize is that it's not just one big wave that comes ashore, it's multiple. One of the most terrifying features of a tsunami is that when looking out to sea, they're very hard to spot until the waves begin to crest. These waves form and propagate out from the site of the earthquake steadily building in both size and strength. Tsunami waves have been tracked traveling at over 500 miles per hour, leaving those in the path with either mere minutes or hours to understand their fate. Over the last 60 years, there have been several instances of tsunamis racing ashore following an undersea earthquake. One of the deadliest and strongest earthquakes to ever be recorded in United States history occurred on March 27, 1964. At 5.36 p.m. local time, an earthquake of magnitude 9.2 occurred in the Prince William Sound region of Alaska. The earthquake rupture started approximately 25 kilometers beneath the surface, 
with its epicenter about six miles east of the mouth of College Fjord, 56 miles west of Valdez, and 75 miles east of Anchorage. The earthquake lasted approximately four and a half minutes and is the most powerful recorded earthquake in U.S. history. It is also the second largest earthquake ever recorded next to the magnitude 9.5 earthquake in Chile in 1960. Following the deadly quake, a tsunami with an astonishing height of 220 feet would be reported sweeping through Shoup Bay and into the small port town of Valdez. Overall, following the aftermath of this earthquake and tsunami, a total of 131 people would lose their lives and over $311 million in property damage would occur. For today's reference, that would be $2.7 billion. One of the most recent and well-known earthquakes to have occurred is the 2011 Tohoku earthquake that led to over 18,000 deaths and $360 billion in property damage. On March 11, 2011, a magnitude 9.1 earthquake struck off the northeast coast of Honshu, Japan. A tsunami that was generated by the earthquake arrived at the coast within 30 minutes, overtopping seawalls and disabling three nuclear reactors within days. The 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami event, often referred to as the Great East Japan Earthquake and Tsunami, resulted in over 18,000 dead, including several thousand victims who were never recovered. In all of this death and destruction, there is a shining light. Each of these communities affected by this disaster quickly banded together to begin recovery efforts and the healing process. Valdez, the town unanimously voted to move the town inland, and by 1965, the town was fully rebuilt. In Japan, while the recovery process took longer, preparedness and resiliency measures were taken while rebuilding. For instance, towns badly damaged by the tsunami were raised off the ground and new, stronger buildings capable of withstanding tsunami forces were constructed. And seawall improvements along the coast are now far better equipped to withstand the forces of future tsunamis. The time to prepare is now. Governments should not have to wait for a devastating disaster to impact their communities before measures are taken to ensure life safety, because the next disaster is coming and those who are not prepared will die. Over the next 50 years, global temperatures are expected to increase, leading to additional global ice melting resulting in sea level rise. Communities not once in the crosshair of tsunamis must now face the reality that one day their entire lives could be swept away. Following our final break, we will look at a theoretical impact of a major earthquake and tsunami impacting the Pacific Northwest coast. Before the break, we reviewed both historic and recent earthquake events that resulted in tsunami impacts. As we transition into today's final segment, please note that while this event could happen anytime within the next 100 years, it's purely theoretical at this point. On October 22nd, 2022, at approximately 9.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, tsunami sensors indicate a massive rupture along the Cascadia subduction zone, measuring at a magnitude 9.8. This earthquake lasts nearly 10 minutes, causing several fissures to occur on the ocean floor and leading to tsunami waves propagating from the site. Due to this extreme rupture along the fault, several more earthquakes are recorded within the Puget Sound and along the crustal faults, such as the one that runs directly through Seattle. The Puget Sound earthquake is reported at a magnitude 7.8 and the Crustal Fault records a magnitude 5.4. Quickly following the earthquake in the Puget Sound, a site forces tens of millions of gallons of water inland causing flooding in the port towns of Whidbey Island, Kingston, Hansville, and Everett. These sites reported are nearly 90 feet in height as they quickly crest along the shore. Unfortunately, 
Those who did not receive the warnings are swept away as the water rushes inland. In the city of Seattle, the crustal fault that runs directly through the city causes many of the roads used as evacuation routes to be destroyed, forcing many to bottleneck on what routes remain. In the Pacific, the initial tsunami waves begin to crest and crash along the coast. Coastal towns such as La Push, Keats, Westport, Long Beach, and Coos Bay are quickly swept into oblivion from the nearly 230-foot wave. Alarms and warning systems do little here as the waves have traveled at nearly 500 miles per hour from the center of the earthquake. Unfortunately, entire towns and small cities are lost at this point. 30 minutes after the initial quake, tsunami waves begin to rush ashore in Seattle, Vancouver, and the small towns that dot the landscape in between the major metropolises. At this point, power, water, and interstates have become disabled. Communication towers are destroyed, leaving many without a cell phone signal. Everyone is truly on their own, and the fight for their lives begin. Following this catastrophic impact, life for those affected by this disaster would come to a screeching halt. Infrastructure throughout Washington, Oregon, California, and Canada would be severely damaged. Interstates would be impassable for months, and quite honestly, following this earthquake, it would look like a war zone. Fires would race through cities as water remained unavailable due to earthquakes severing the lines. Power wouldn't be restored for weeks to months as utility crews would race to reinstall towers, lines, and even facilities damaged by the earthquake. Tens of thousands would unfortunately lose their lives as a result of either not heeding the warning or simply not having enough time to find adequate shelter. As I stated earlier, this would be a true worst-case scenario, and one that is highly unlikely to play out the way that I wrote it. Luckily, Throughout the Pacific Northwest and in California, early warning systems exist for a reason. Those near the epicenter may have very little to no warning at all prior to an earthquake triggering, but early warning systems such as ShakeAlert exist and can provide advanced notification to those who may be farther away from the epicenter. These systems can be paired with automated systems that can prevent further damage on infrastructure such as disabling gas lines. Additionally, a similar system exists for tsunami detection as well. These systems work in conjunction with earthquake sensors to measure the possibility that a tsunami has been triggered. These warning systems identify a tsunami threat within 5 minutes and can be used to warn those on the coast of an impending impact. Before I end today's episode, I want to share a couple of earthquake and tsunami safety tips that hopefully you can take and better prepare yourself or your family. Stay away from outer walls, windows, fireplaces, and hanging objects. If you are physically unable to move away from either a bed or chair, cover your head using items such as pillows that will aid in the absorption of the impact. If outside, move into an open area away from buildings and trees and stay there until the earthquake subsides. For tsunamis, get as far inland and up to higher ground as soon as possible. Be alert to signs of a tsunami such as sudden recession of water along the coastlines or sudden rise within rivers. Follow all emergency information, and if you are in a boat, get out into open water as soon as possible. I want to thank you for joining me on this week's episode. As I continue to learn and evolve this podcast, I would love to have you on for this journey. Emergency management is my passion, and I would love to share my knowledge with you. Please consider subscribing to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Republic, or Breaker. Please also share this podcast with your friends, families, and coworkers is the only way we can continue to prepare is if we are all in this together.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.